to Women Wanting Women, a podcast where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, Jordana Michelle, lesbian love coach and matchmaker extraordinaire. You can learn more at jordanamichelle.com, where you will also find amazing free resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a guide to the five biggest mistakes most women make when coming out, and since I'm passionate about matchmaking and I might already be friends with the woman of your dreams, I also have a free survey that you can fill out so I can keep you in mind for the women I continually meet through the work that I'm doing in our community. All of that is free at jordanamichelle.com. But in the meantime, I have something pretty wild to talk about. What if I told you that our closest relative in the animal kingdom, with whom we share literally about 99% of our DNA, is a great ape that lives in a female-dominated society where the females band together against the males and have sex with each other all the time? Would you believe me? It kind of sounds like a hippie feminist utopian novel that's just too good to be true, but actually what I'm talking about is very real. The great ape I'm talking about is called the bonobo. The bonobo... The bonobos are our closest relatives in the animal kingdom. We share almost 99% of the same DNA. This is a true story. I'm not joking. And this episode of the podcast, I get to interview the world's leading primatologist, Dr. Franz DeWall, who tells us all about the bonobos and much more. Dr. DeWall's expertise in primatology is an amazing mirror for us as humans because we are primates. We are apes. And while it's true that our behavior is super influenced by things like culture and language, What's also true is that we're even more influenced by our genes. We might not realize this, but we are the way we are in so many respects because we evolved to be this way. We evolved to act the way we act and to think the way we think and to want the things that we want and to feel the way that we feel. Human nature is exactly that. It's our nature. There's a biological basis for the way we behave, and ultimately, no matter how cultured we might be, we're born with certain hard wiring that developed for the survival of our species, and we don't even realize how deeply we're driven by these structures. And my guest on today's podcast, Dr. Franz DeWall, is the world's leading expert when it comes to understanding human behavior and human societies from the perspective of primate behavior and primate relationships. We share so much of our social behavior, social strategies, and basic drives with the other apes. They have relationships a lot like ours. They relate to each other a lot like the way we do, the way they fight, the way they make up, the way they organize in groups. And as a lesbian love coach, what I was especially interested in is the way females relate to each other. Because for women like us, our primary relationships are with women. So during this interview, I got to ask Dr. DeWall about what we can learn from our closest animal relatives about female relationships, female relating, and female power. Dr. Franz DeWall is a Dutch-American biologist and primatologist who's known for his studies of primate behavior and for drawing parallels between primate and human behavior, including morals and politics and making up after fights and even culture. 
In, 2000 select, in 2007, he was selected by Time as one of the world's 100 most influential people, and in 2011 by Discover as among 47 all-time great minds of science. He's also the ed- editor-in-chief of the journal Behavior, and he is the C.H. Candler Professor in the Psychology Department of Emory University and Director of the Living Link Center at the Yerkes National Primate Research Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Since 2013, he's a distinguished professor at Utrecht University, and he has been elected to the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, and the Royal Dutch Academy of Sciences. He's published something like 15 popular books, including one called Our Inner Ape, which I highly recommend, and I talk about it to everyone because it's absolutely amazing, um, and you should all read it. And without further introduction, here is my interview with the amazing Franz de Waal. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. DeWall, for being here. Um, I'm so mm-hmm. excited to talk to you, and I have so many questions, and so excited to share your work with my audience. Um, so before we like really dive into it, I just wanted for people who don't know who um, the bonobos are and who they don't and, and who might not be as familiar with chimpanzees, um, can you start just explaining who they are in relation to humans? Yeah, um, humans are basically apes. I know that many people look at themselves as different, but taxonomically speaking, we are so close to the apes, like almost 99% of our DNA is identical, that we, um, uh, well, it's a bit like a horse and a zebra. That's how close we are to an ape. So we basically, for the primatologist, we are apes. We are large, tailless primates. And apes are a very small group. Um, and all the rest is monkeys. And so you have gorillas and orangutans and bonobos and chimpanzees as apes plus humans. And um, the closest relatives that we have are chimps and bonobos. And they split from us probably six million years ago. That's the estimate. And they split from each other much more recently. So chimps and bonobos are very close to each other and very close to us. Uh, and we don't need to choose. People, are, you know, anthropologists very often, they favor the chimpanzee as our close relative because the chimpanzee is aggressive and male-dominated and has territories and fights over that. And so the the anthropologists often like the chimpanzee for that reason because that's how they want to write human history, basically. Uh, But the bonobo, which is more female-dominated and and friendlier, uh, is often forgotten in the process because it doesn't fit the scenario so well. But I, I always feel we need to consider both equally, they're equally relevant to human history, and so we need to look both at both species. And my understanding from you was that we're not even necessarily sure which one split off first from us, right? Like, we're actually, from as far as our records can tell, um, sort of equally related to both, at least from what we can scientifically prove with DNA. Is that... Am I right about that? Yeah, there, there are now studies of the genome of chimpanzees, humans, bonobos, and uh, there's no reason to choose between the two in the sense that they're, they're equidistant, as we say, they're equally close to us. Uh, and, and the bonobo even has certain aspects that I think make it more human-like in the sense that the bonobos has lo- have longer legs, and so when they stand upright, they look much more like Australopithecus than the chimpanzee does. A recent study on the musculature of bonobos said that they were more like the last common ancestor, more likely. And so uh, there's there's really no reason to favor the chimpanzee over the bonobo. And I would say there's actually more reasons now to favor the bonobo over the chimpanzee as more similar to the, the ancestor that we have. Now, we do need to understand that 
all of us evolved since that time. So it's not like we descend from bonobos or we descend from chimpanzees. There is a last common ancestor that lived 6 million years ago. And all of us who are live now, the bonobos, chimps and humans, we, we have changed since that time. And, and so it is very hard to say what that last common ancestor looked like uh, because we don't have good fossils of it. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that, I mean, clearly we've all evolved a lot since that time, but I do love hearing all the things that you teach about both because I find it so fascinating as it does relate to our character and our nature. Um, mm. You know, a lot, of, um, a lot of us, when we realize that we prefer same-sex um, relationships, there's um, a reaction that we've heard from, I'm sure, a lot of people in our lives that says that, you know, what we're doing is not natural or it's not... Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's not natural is a big thing that, that comes up yet. The bonobos are basically bisexual swingers. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of people yeah. don't realize this. Can you, um, can you explain about this? It's for anyone who hasn't heard about this before. Well, the animal kingdom is, is full of homosexual behavior, uh, dependent on how you define that. There's, there's of course very few species uh, that are exclusive that can be exclusively homosexual that's not a possibility for them they need to reproduce and so uh, um, but there's many animals that have contacts between the same sex sexual contacts and the bonobos may be the, the best example uh, bonobos and dolphins maybe dolphins also um, because they have a lot of that kind of contacts going on and so bonobos basically I call them pansexual um, in the sense that they don't particularly care uh, whether whether they're having sexual contact with a male or a female. And uh, you see all the combinations, male-male, male-female, female-female, male-juvenile, female-juvenile. Sometimes you see a whole heap of them. So two, it starts with two bonobos, let's say two females having sex, and then the juveniles jump into it and sometimes a male jumps into it and and it becomes um, more complicated. The only sexual contact that we never see in adults is between mother and son. And so that's that's a very interesting one is that, uh, of course, we biologists were always interested in inbreeding avoidance and mother-son would not be a good thing to have. And so that, that one is suppressed, actually. I am a little creeped out to think that it might not be suppressed then in mother-daughter. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Well, mother daughter wouldn't wouldn't have that kind of implication. So, uh, and it, it is true that the, the the females they leave the group. So, uh, the the bonobo society is very interesting. Is that females at puberty they leave and they they join another group, a neighboring group. So, so mother daughter is really not much of a possibility because the daughters leave the group and have their adult lives in another group. Um, and so, mother son, since the sons remain in the group, the males remain. Uh, that's the only combination that could really occur. It's really interesting. Um, and, you know, the way you describe it, it's almost just like this: these sexual acts, they're just part of their social life. Yeah, they, are, they have a social function. So I, I have estimated that three-quarter of all the sex that goes on among bonobos has nothing to do with reproduction. Uh, because it is combinations that cannot reproduce or the situations in which reproduction is impossible. For example, if the female is not cycling, then uh, then that becomes an impossibility. Uh, so, for example, when females are pregnant, they still have sex with a lot of individuals and clearly at that moment they cannot become uh, uh, pregnant again. And so uh, there's a lot of non-reproductive sex and, and that sex functions in the context of uh, social relationships. It happens especially... 
during greetings. Greetings are always tense moments uh, because there's a potential of uh, conflict uh, when individuals meet uh, after a long absence. And that's also why humans have lots of rituals. When we when we go to the home of people, we bring a bottle of wine and flowers. And we, we have all sorts of rituals to overcome that kind of tensions. And the bonobos too. The bonobos do that with sex. And when they meet after a long absence, they, they have a brief moment of sex together. And uh, otherwise, it happens after fights as a reconciliation. And so that's very typical. And that's actually how I got interested in the topic because I'm interested in conflict resolution and at some point I started studying bonobos and I noticed that everything that chimps do is a kiss or an embrace, the bonobo does with sex and so they they have sexual reconciliations. And um, so what would that look like then? <laughs> what, is it, what does that even mean? There is it, it's, well, you know, I don't even want to get explicit about that, but no, actually, can you, what does it mean though? Why, why don't we get explicit? Yeah, okay. So the, the, the bonobo has a very big clitoris, the female. So the male has a very long penis. There was one time uh, Desmond Morris in The Naked Ape claimed that humans had the biggest penis of all the primates. Uh, and I, I doubt it because the bonobo has a longer penis, I think, than the human. So bonobo males have a long penis. Females have a, a very prominent clitoris. And of course, they have genital swellings, something that humans don't have. And I think maybe you should be happy that we don't have that. That's a whole balloon that comes up uh, in your fertile period. And um, they have these swellings. But in the swelling, hidden in the swelling is a clitoris, these, which is quite prominent. And when females have sex together, they rub these swellings together sideways. They do it usually face to face. Um, so it is um, a face-to-face position, often with one female clinging to the other one. So it's almost as if the other one is then carrying, like carrying a juvenile, because that's how juveniles are being carried by adult. They cling to the belly. Uh, and so they, they have this posture, which is called GG rubbing or genitogenital rubbing between two females. And that's a very common sexual pattern in the bonobo. And they rub their uh, clitoris is sideways against each other, but for, for a very short time. So people always think that bonobos have sex for hours. That's really not true. I think 10 seconds is a long time for them. 20 seconds is really an eternity for them. And, and so it, it's a very brief sexual contact. Uh, and it serves usually, uh, as I said, a social function. Um, it's usually when there's tensions over food, for example. So, for example, um, we do studies at uh, Lola which is a sanctuary in in the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Africa. And uh, when food is provided, these bonobos are, are uh, live in a forest, but they're sort of semi-captive. If food is provided, that's the moment where there's tensions, of course, because food induces competition. And immediately all the bonobos are going to have sex with each other. You, you immediately see some sort of orgy going on before they share the food. And the females are very good at sharing food. So, so it's not like you, you're going to see a lot of fights, but you basically see is a lot of sex. That is amazing. And it's interesting that you say that the females are really good at sharing food. Um, because I, I really want to get into that and like, what is that about their sharing? Because this is what's interesting you said before and, and what I learned from you is the bonobos, they're a female dominated matriarchal, uh, structure, right? Um, yeah, this was at some point controversial and, you know, in many primates, the males are dominant, and in humans, we tend to think that males are dominant. And so uh, when that f- first came out, I remember in captivity, it's very obvious. It, it's very obvious. You go to any zoo which has bonobos, 
and they will they will point at the alpha female as the head of the the head of the whole club. So they in in captivity this has never been in doubt, but in the field the field workers they were reluctant to claim um, female dominance. But that has all changed. I think now there are several reports out on on really wild troops, not even provisioned, uh, really wild uh, communities of of bonobos, where uh, in the rank order usually uh, uh, the top positions are female. Then you get a few males in there. So it's not like all the females are dominant over all the males. It is the top positions are usually female. And then you get some sort of alternation between males and females. Uh, and, and you have some high-ranking males as well. Which is super interesting uh, because I've been wondering about that. Since I've been reading about chimpanzees from you and the way that the males are competing with each other, um, and then just likening it to humans, and it's like the females aren't part of that competition almost. Like when the, the males are doing their dominance thing, it's if on the chimp side, let's just say. Are, the, are there females? In, I know that there are females who are dominant among females, but is there any dominance over males in that? How does that work? No, chimpanzees, basically every healthy adult male is dominant over all the females. That's very exceptional that that would not be the case. Now, the highest ranking female can be extremely important. So, for example, a year ago, uh, Mama died, the, the top female of the Arnhem Zoo colony where I used to work, and she was 59 years old. And Mama was not physically dominant over the males, uh, in that colony, but she was an absolutely central figure in the chimpanzee group, in the sense that every conflict basically ended up in her arms because she had connections everywhere. So, so you can have power in different ways. You can have physical power in in the sense that you can beat up somebody. You can also have social power that that depends on other skills, you know. And and that's what what Mama the chimpanzee had. In bonobos, it's different because in bonobos, the top female is really capable of beating up somebody. So the top female is not just sort of influential, uh, like in chimpanzee sometimes happens, but she is also uh, she can chase a male away from food, and and that's what they often do. And so initially, when the claim came that um, in bonobos the females are often dominant, uh, there were counter movements in prime among the primatologists of people who said, well, it only relates to food. It's only in relation to food that the females are dominant. But, you know, food is the most important thing for the females. And um, in every other species, if A can chase B away from food, we say A is dominant over B. And so I didn't see a reason why we shouldn't apply that to the bonobos. But now, as I said, it is is very well accepted to say that uh, the bonobo is a matriarchal society where uh, the the top individual is usually a female. And and in the bonobos, you're saying that the female is as strong that the alpha female is as strong as other males. So the male bonobos aren't as strong as chimp bonobos. Ah, physically, physically, the female is never as strong as a male bonobo. Okay. So the, so it is a collective dominance. The the females are not individually dominant. So if, if, for example, at zoos, if you have one male and one female, and, and in the beginning, nowadays, no zoo would do that anymore, but in the beginning, we had that kind of groupings. If you have one male and one female, the, the male is dominant in bonobos. As soon as you add a second female, it changes because the females band together. The females are very solidary, and so they band together against the male, 
And the males are not nearly as good at cooperation. The, the male bonobos are very what we call mama's boys. They hang around with their mom. They are supported by their mother. They, they don't do much with other males. That's the big difference with chimps. Chimp males are very coalition building, and and they will they would have a counter movement in such a case. But um, in the bonobo, the females are not physically dominant over males, but they're collectively dominant. And the females help each other. Recently, just half a year ago, a report came out from uh, by a Japanese scientist on wild bonobos, and she documented in very great detail how the females support each other uh, and how they, uh, they help each other against males, especially against male harassment. And so as soon as a male um, tries to intimidate a female, because he is physically capable of doing that, um, the female only needs to peep, so to speak, and other females will come over and help her. And so with the bonobos, the females are super good at, at uniting. And in the chimps, the males are good at forming alliances. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, it, but male bonobos, not so good at forming alliances. And then female chimps, not as good at forming alliances, except for sometimes in captivity, right? Yeah, female chimps in captivity have more power because in captivity, they're all together. And they, they help each other. There is some level of solidarity, not not as big as in the bonobos, but uh, certainly female chimps, they, they help each other, uh, also against males. Um, but that's possible in captivity because the females live uh, together. Uh, in the wild, chimps are very often dispersed over the forest. And so they, the females, they don't travel together as a group, uh, like the bonobo females very often do, but the, the female chimps are sort of dispersed. And that makes it very hard for them to band together against males. And so they, they are uh, up against males, who's, and the males are often traveling together. So uh, the females have much less power in a wild chimpanzee community. Wait, so why would the chimp females not just travel together? I, I, is it because of food? What's going on? And why would the males, yes, travel together and the females not? If it makes sense for the males, why doesn't it make sense for the females? Yeah, that's an interesting, we, we haven't solved that riddle yet, is why the bonobos and the chimpanzees differ. Uh, there are theories about that their food supply is different and that, for example, um, chimpan uh, bonobos live in a richer forest, which allows the females to travel together. Because as soon as, the, as food becomes scarce, uh, if you are a group of, let's say, 20 females, um, uh, that's not, uh, it's not easy to feed on small food patches. And so then they disperse. And so it has to do with food distribution, we think. So it's an ecological factor that makes the bonobos and the chimpanzees different. But uh, this has not been completely worked out yet, how, how, how this may have happened. Yeah, especially because you say that the males do travel together. So if food is scarce for the ma for the females, why wouldn't it also be scarce for the males? So that doesn't... Uh, the males have other priorities. The males are into sex and power and territory. And um, the male dominance hierarchy also has little to do with food. It's all about who mates with the females. And the males uh, defend the territory. The male chimpanzees defend the territory together, which is very dangerous business because other males do the same thing. And so they, um, they better stick together uh, out of self-defense, basically. And so the, the males have a very different set of priorities than the females do. For females... Dominance is usually related to food. And, and so uh, who gets the best food? Females, they, they uh, are pregnant or they have offspring or sometimes they have two offspring with them. Uh, and all of that requires food. And so for females, food, the food situation is the most important one. For males, it's usually more about sex that things are uh, 
But the guys got to eat too, right? Where are they getting their food then? What's going on? How are they? The food, the food is almost secondary. If, for example, uh, if in, in a group of chimpanzees a female is sexually swollen in the sense that she's sexually attractive to the males, the males may go a couple of days without eating. The, the, the sex is so important to them and they're so obsessed by it um, that they may, may forget to eat, so to speak. Now, I think for, for males, yes, the males need to eat. And of course, they, they, they spend a lot of time uh, looking for food and hunting sometimes um but um sex is the priority there's a, there's an obvious reason for that is that um now you have to start thinking a bit like an evolutionary biologist is why things evolve and we always think about reproductive success a trait that enhances your reproduction is a trait that will be passed on to your offspring. And so those are the traits that evolve. Now think about it for a male chimpanzee. A male chimpanzee who mates with 20 females can potentially have 20 offspring. So that's an enormous reproductive success that he can have if he is high ranking. A female who mates with 20 males she still just gets one offspring. Whatever she does, she gets one offspring at a time. And so for the females, the pressure on being high ranking and having, having lots of mating partners is very different, is, is very different from males. And that's a universal difference in the animal kingdom. Uh, and that's also why males are more occupied, preoccupied often by high status than females are. Yeah, let's and, take this over to humans. Mm. Let's extrapolate now to humans, because uh, it is an interesting thing. Um, you know, uh, when I think about when I think about what you teach me about chimp males, and then looking at humans um, and and certain form. I mean, because we have like you know we had Hillary Clinton running for president last year, right? So it's not as if women can't rise um, in power. And you know, and, and and that would be more social power, obviously, than physical power, because she couldn't really beat anyone up. Um, I don't think. Um, so I don't know. Talk to us about how this extrapolates to humans. Well, humans are special in that we have now social systems in 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 which we uh, we make this possible through a democratic process. For for uh, for example, the best example is Merkel, of course, in Germany, who is the alpha female there. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, that that possibility exists. I, I was sort of intrigued by the campaign a year ago. Because um, Trump had so clearly intimidated all his uh, Republican uh, competition, uh, and all of a sudden now he faced a female opponent, which uh, which was nude for him. And I was sort of curious how this would go, because a male cannot intimidate a female in the same way that he can intimidate other males. And it was clear that he had a lot of trouble in the debates, for example, of, of what to do. And he was sort of looming behind Hillary Clinton as a, as a big balloon. But um, uh, it's a very different dynamic. Between, between males, it's very easy, the intimidation part and lowering of your voice and standing tall and insulting others. All of that is, is easy between males, but between a male and a female, the dynamic changes completely. So th- I found that very intriguing. I don't know... Uh, if you ask me why Hillary was not elected, don't expect from me that kind of political analysis. But uh, No, no. And I, I want to go backwards more to this idea of um, how it's easy for males to intimidate each other and then the way that they would try to like and then how do. OK, so how do females intimidate each other? How do males intimidate? Let's let's go there. I love this. Is so, so, interesting. so females is, is the, the hierarchy among female chimps and bonobos is very different from the males. The males are always um, jockeying for position. They're making coalitions. They're trying to uh, 
and they're sometimes trying to physically fight with each other, even though that's not the most important part. But um, in females, the hierarchy is very often based on personality and age. So um, I've, I've known many uh, groups of captive chimpanzees and bonobos, and uh, the top female is almost never a middle-aged female. So middle-aged would mean those are the females who are physically the strongest and the healthiest usually. So in prime age, but that's not the one you're going to see at the top. At the top, you're going to see an old female. Sometimes a female can barely walk and she's going to be at the top uh, and she's going to be highly respected and, and very firm as everyone. Uh, and, and I always find that intriguing. In, in, in male chimps, this would be an impossibility. As soon as a male shows weakness or cannot walk as fast anymore as somebody else, uh, they're going to exploit that and they're going to take him down. But in, in females, that's not a factor. It's not a physically decided process. I think it's personality and age that basically does it. And age, it's, it's an old age that does it. So what in the personality does it? What is yeah, it that's, that is- that's for me very hard to determine, um, and, and I think that's probably in humans also, in, in human society also, you see certain women who have authority over others, uh, and tell me what, what is it that, that makes them dominant over others, uh, I don't know what that is, which part of the personality it is, but it is, it is usually a very... Um, uh, firm and uh, don't take any nonsense and a uh, very self-confident kind of personality. Firm, no nonsense, self-confidence. That's a good mm-hmm. answer. I like it. I'll take it. I'm writing it down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's so. Yeah, let's talk more about this. Um, the, the relationship between females, not just in terms of dominance, but um, I'm curious. Just both chimps and bonobos. How how are females relating to each other? Well, I think the solidarity of females in both species has to do mostly with harassment by males. So so the bonobo has taken this to the extreme in the sense that they some of them are dominant over the males, and so they, they have such a high level of cooperation among the bonobo females going that the males really um, have to be careful uh, because otherwise they may get chased out or beaten up by the females. In uh, in chimpanzees, uh, you see that also in captivity. In the field, as I said, it, it is hampered by the fact that the females are dispersed. And so they, they cannot make a fist um, the same way that the bonobo females do. But there's a high level of solidarity. Uh, females otherwise have uh, friendships, usually long-lasting, stable friendships. Um, and uh, they are very careful not to upset their um, their friends. So, so I always find that interesting. That's an interesting sex difference uh, that we also see, I think, in humans, is that uh, the males don't mind having conflicts with each other. They, they very easily enter conflict. They scream and yell at each other. And then afterwards, they kiss and embrace, and they make up, and they laugh, and they play around, and they forget all about it. Uh, and that's not possible for the females. The females tend to hold grudges longer than the males. And so females, they, um, they avoid at all costs a conflict with their best friends. And, and, and I, for example, two females that I knew when I was a student and that I've known for 40 years, uh, I've never heard of a conflict between those two female chimpanzees. And they were the best friends and, and they managed to avoid conflicts at all times. And so I think the females have more a strategy like 
I will not fight with my best friends, but I don't mind fighting with my rivals and my enemies, uh, but I also won't reconcile with those. Whereas the males, they try to maintain good relationships with everybody, including even their rivals. They, their biggest rival, they may on occasion have positive interactions with. Okay, so, let, so are we talking only about chimps now? Because I have so many questions about what you just said. Are we talking only about chimps right now or bonobos too? These are, we're talking about chimps. Uh, right? Yes, bonobos are a bit different because the males don't well, do much together. The, male, the, males, the males are very attached to their moms, and they, are, they don't have the friendships that, let's say, chimp males may have. Okay, so we're starting with the chimps. I love what you just said. I'm, I'm super, I have so many questions. So is this with the females, with these long-lasting, stable friendships um, where they avoid conflict? Is that at all in, in nature, or is this only in captivity there where we see this? Um, in chimp, chimps in nature, uh, there may be less of it, but in bonobos, the females are very close. In the bonobos, the females travel together. When they, when they sleep at night, because all bonobos and chimps, they always build nests in trees. When they sleep at night, they, they're afraid of, of leopards and animals like that. And so at night, they sleep in the trees. When female uh, bonobos um, come to a sleeping site uh, in the evening, they start calling each other so that they all gather together. And so you may have 20 females who build nests up in the trees in the same area. And so there's, there's a very cohesive uh, sort of family life for the females among themselves, which is really interesting because the females are not related to each other. So I, I've called it a secondary sisterhood. In the sense that all these females, they act like sisters, they help each other, uh, but they're not related to each other because, as I, as I explained in the beginning, uh, at puberty, the females travel outside of their group and go join another group. And so all these females who end up living together in a group are usually not related to each other. That's really beautiful. Um, and, and when you talked about um, these long-lasting, stable friendships with like rivalries between each other and holding grudges, is there any of that within the bonobos? Are they... Are they? Do they have rivals? Are there grudges? We know much. We know much less about that. So uh, that's the unfortunate thing. The, the the politics of chimpanzees are pretty well known now. The politics of bonobos and how a female gets to the top and what she does there and what kind of relationships they have is much less known. The, the one thing that we do know is that the biggest fights among female bonobos occur when the sons of two females get into a power struggle. So the males have their own hierarchy in bonobos. You have a top male among the males. And um, that is largely decided by the mothers. And so if, let's say, if uh, the son of an old female who is dying or very sick, um, he, he has trouble because he's now losing his biggest supporter. And another male will notice that. And, and another male will start challenging him. And the mother of that other male then may attack the old female. And so the biggest fights in bonobo females uh, occur, uh, and they are very rare, they're, they're very rare, but they occur when the sons get into uh, dominant struggles with each other. That's really interesting. So it's all about their sons. Um and but with the chimps, they the, can we talk about these grudges? Can we talk about avoiding conflict but having rivals? And can we get into the way that? Uh, and is that also is that in captivity only, or is this in uh, something they observe everywhere? Yeah, we know. I think we know more uh, about captivity. Also, reconciliation was discovered in, in captive uh, chimps. 
uh, and and now we know that they do it in the field also but these things are always a little bit harder to determine in the field than they are in captivity and reconciliation you mean like making up after fights yeah, making up after fights has now been documented in many primates also in the field, but the, the first reports, uh, I was the first who discovered it in chimpanzees, the first reports came out of captivity, because in, things are in captivity often a bit easier to see than in the field. Uh, but but um, if you ask for the sex difference, the in that kind of behavior, I would say that... Um, uh, chimpanzee females, and I, and I think similar stories apply to human females and males, is that the females are, are more like peacekeepers who try to uh, keep the peace instead of resorting to uh, aggression, whereas males are more peacemakers in the sense that they don't mind having a conflict, but they also uh, are very easy in uh, making up afterwards. Um, so, so you get this kind of um, brotherly relationships between males where they, they have their rivals and they may have um, a shouting match with their rival, but that doesn't mean that an hour later they cannot be grooming or playing with the same individual. Uh, all of that is possible. I, I myself, I'm from a, from a family of six boys and I know that dynamic very well <laughs> is that men don't particularly care. We don't particularly care having a fight and we don't particularly care making up. Uh, whereas in, in chimpanzees, as I said, um, the, the females try to, at all costs, to avoid a fight with their best friends. Because that, that fight may not be repairable. That's, that's the, the big risk. It's a, that's the big risk compared to the males. The males can make up, but the females maybe not. And so uh, are you willing to risk that? No, you're not willing to risk that. And so the females, uh, they, they make an enormous effort not to have conflict with their best friends and everybody else they care a lot less about. And um, and the fight not be repairable, why? Because they're just not good at making up? I don't know why that is. I don't know why um, these sensitivities are much greater than in the males. And so, for example, there's an interesting book on humans. This is by Deborah Tannen. On, uh, the, the title of the book is, I believe, You Just Don't Understand. And this is how men and women communicate very differently. And she describes how, for example, in boardrooms of companies... Men may have enormous shouting matches and, and, and insult each other and uh, have a big stinking fight. And then there's a break and they all go to, to the restroom and they all pee together there and they're all laughing and making jokes and they think it's uh, great. And then they go back to the boardroom and they start the whole fight over again. And she, she explains in her book that this is an impossibility for women. It's an impossibility to have a big stinking fight and two minutes later to be laughing together. Um, and the, these alternations that are so common among men, I think, men also test each other. If, if, you, if, the, if two men who don't know each other meet each other they, they start testing each other and poking fun at each other and insulting each other just to see how the other one is going to respond so out of curiosity basically uh, so this this is a sort of behavior that that males have also in chimpanzees that's a very common thing is that uh, they test each other all the time basically and women just take or the females just take everything way more personally yeah, maybe that's what it is. Um, there's, a, there's a study that was done on, on children by a um, Finnish researcher who, who did observations in the schoolyard of fights between boys and between girls. And she said, if you, if you look at the schoolyard, you see many more boy fights than girl fights. But if you ask the kids at the end of the day, did you have a fight today? 
there are as many boy fights as girl fights. And so the girls have fights that you cannot see. And she said that's because a lot of the fights are verbal or they one of them turns away from another or doesn't look at the other or something like that. And she also asked, how long can you stay mad at the other that you had a fight with? And, and the boys would say, oh, I can stay mad for hours. And, but the girls would say, all my life. <laughs> so, so it's a very different dynamic, I think. It is very little studied, unfortunately. I think um, uh, this kind of social sex differences are, are understudied. But when, when people talk about, uh, let's say, mathematical abilities or language abilities or whatever the abilities that they test, these are always laboratory tests of things. But spontaneous behavior, I think, is so much more interesting, but it's very hard to test. Yeah, I, it's so interesting, and I had like a million more questions about it. But um, I guess, like you say, it's just this is just something that hasn't been studied yet. Like why it hurt? It, I know I'm everything you're saying is ringing true to me because if I if someone hurts my feelings, it's really hard to let it go. Um, mm-hmm. And with guys, it's like maybe it's because we know it's personal. Um, we take it personally because if we were to say it that way, maybe we would have meant it personally or something because we would go so far out of our way to avoid fights. That if someone's saying that, they must really, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but it's so interesting. Um, but something I also had to learn from you that I think is really interesting is the way that we humans sort of have a dysfunctional relationship with power, where it's like we deny it, yet subconsciously it still totally controls us in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's surprising for me because these aren't things you hear about, and I'm not, I, can you get into that? Because I'm, I'm so curious about what I've learned from you about that. Well, I think we have a, a very strong power drive. Uh, Nietzsche called it, well, the philosophers were very open about it. Nietzsche called it a will to power. And uh, the, the psychologists, are very, the social scientists in general, are very shy about power. And so they, if, since I'm a biologist who lives in a psychology department, I often see the textbooks in social psychology and I always look at the end, uh, what do they say about power and dominance? And, and very often these words are not even in the book, as if human society operates without power and dominance. But we have a very strong power drive that we try to hide. We are sort of uh, shy about it. It's a bit like uh, with sex and so power and sex are sort of taboo. Uh, but if you look at the politicians who run for office very clearly, why would you do that even? Why would you go through all this trouble if there was not some sort of uh, goal at the end, which is power, I think? So so we are shy about it. And I think men have a stronger power drive than women, but it's clearly not absent in women. And, uh, and that's also why I think the bonobos are really interesting, because clearly female bonobos have a, a well-developed power drive in the sense that they want to be the dominant uh, in, in the group. And, and as far as top-ranking positions are concerned, uh, I think it is very hard for, as I, as I mentioned, for uh, in chimps and bonobos, it's very hard for middle-aged in, individuals to reach these positions. That's usually older females. And I think the same is probably true in human society. If you look at the leaders that we have had, like, uh, let's say, Margaret Thatcher or Angela Merkel or uh, Indira Gandhi, um, whatever, you, they're always post, post-reproductive, sort of post-menopausal women. And I think there's a reason for that is that um, younger women, they arouse competition and they're not necessarily supported by other women. Women are quite, uh, can be quite competitive with each other. And um, if they perceive a female candidate, like let's say Sarah Palin, Sarah Palin was pushed forward by 
John McCain as, as a great candidate, vice presidential candidate, but she was too young and, and she, uh, um, she didn't get the, the female vote. The female vote went overwhelmingly to Obama and she didn't get it, I think, because she was too young. Um, and, and so older women, they, they are able to attract a lot of votes, like Hillary Clinton was the right age to do this, I think. Um, older women are capable of doing that, but uh, younger women not. Um, for all the reasons I ever thought not to vote for Sarah Palin, her age never occurred to me. Um, but it's a really <laughs> fascinating way of... No, no, you, you probably think in terms of her p- political opinions and things like that. Of course. Uh, but, but I think more like a primatologist, I think she, is, she was a, a threat uh, for many women because many of the Republican men, uh, including Fox News, they were all over how hot she was, which was really the wrong message because... Um, uh, I don't think women are going to vote for someone who's considered hot. Unless they're lesbians like me and we appreciated that she was really cute. It's just that I didn't like her position. <laughs> Very cool. Um, well, I, I want to be mindful of your time because I know um, you told me that you had to hop off um, in a few minutes. But I was wondering if you could just tell everyone where they can find you, what you're working on that you're excited about, um, and anything that you can share um, about where listeners can find more about you. Well, I have a lot of books. And my last book is Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are, which is more about intelligence. My, my future book I'm writing at the moment is about animal animal emotions. And so it will actually have a chapter about politics and power drive and so on. Um, uh, so, so if you look for my books, uh, maybe best is to a book like Chimpanzee Politics or a book like Our Inner Ape, which has quite a bit about the bonobo. Um, if, if you, and, and I have a whole book on bonobos, which is called Bonobo, the Forgotten Ape, which is a photo book, um, uh, which I think is still in print. And so that, that would give you the most direct information probably. Great. And do you have a website where they can find you? Yeah, I have a website, Living Links, which is the institute that I have here uh, at Emory University. Um, that's maybe the best one to look for. And I know also that bonobos are, you know, endangered and in some trouble. So if anyone who wants to try and, you know, um, support the habitats of these beautiful, female-dominated, sex-loving hippie Kama Sutra creatures. Are there any charities that you know about that you would support that you would think people, you know, could look into to contribute to um, if they wanted to help save these beautiful creatures? Yeah, there is, um, there is an organization called the Bonobo Conservation Initiative, uh, which, which would be helpful. And there's, there's the Lola Sanctuary, Lola Ya Bonobo Sanctuary in Kins- near Kinshasa, which also needs help. And so those are the two organizations I would uh, probably go to. Um, great. Thank you for that recommendation. Um, and thank you so much for your time. This has been so great. I took so many notes. I had, um, it is really great to be able to ask you these questions that I've been so curious about for so long. And I love talking to you. Thank you so much for your Thank time you. and for being Thanks. here. Thank you so much, Doctor. Have a beautiful day. Thanks. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want more amazing free resources that will help you develop more self-confidence and help you make yourself more attractive to the women you desire, then go to jordanamichelle.com where you will find some of my best secrets all for free, including the ultimate guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life forever, 
a quiz that will tell you what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you finally meet her, a quick guide to the five biggest mistakes that lesbians make when coming out, a quiz that will tell you what kind of TV series your coming out story would be made into if they made one, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out so that I can keep you in mind in case I happen to know or meet a perfect match for you. So go find my survey and tell me about yourself so that I can help you find love. All of this is free on jordanamichelle.com. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so I can learn more about you and what you're up to in the world. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Women Wanting Women. Women.